But I have been thinking about kind of Christmas and all the traditions that come with it. You know, most people could name a tradition that they have for this time of year. My family growing up, um, uh, we have uh, lots of different traditions, but one of my favourite is we had a specific book. It was this beautiful um, picture book that we always get together and read together as a family on Christmas Eve, and we've done it ever since I can remember um, and still do it today. And it's this beautiful story about the angel on top of a family's Christmas tree and kind of goes through the the Christmas story. And we would always read that, and then we were allowed to open one present ahead of Christmas. And let me tell you, that was like the anguish of having to decide which one you want on Christmas Eve versus, you know, saving. Um, It was was quite something. Uh, And I've been thinking about this a lot as well, particularly because, obviously, um, me and Jeremiah have had one Christmas together already, but we've got hopefully quite a few more together. And and we've also been thinking, you know, now that we're thinking about, like, you know, what are some of the traditions that we're going to want to pass on to our kids? And what things do we want to maybe start, you know, right at the start of our marriage that we can then carry on for years and years to come and set up for our family? So they've all kind of been on my mind um, at the moment. And uh, I love hearing about what different people do, what different traditions they hold, Um, uh, you know, and uh, I just love it because as well, they go, there's a real like spectrum, you know, they go from really absurd, have you ever met someone who like, you do what? (laughs) All the way to, you know, the really heartfelt and beautiful, and I love that as humans, we make traditions and that we've been doing it for thousands of years, you know, we seem to have an instinct Uh, in us to want to mark different seasons and to create things that will remind us of a particular feeling or event or we want to repeat things year after year. Uh, And we see this pattern all throughout the Bible as well. Uh, And there are things that we do today that people have been doing since biblical times. And there are memorials and statues around the place and things that have stood for the last, you know, thousand odd years. And we're just, we're quite a sentimental lot really, as humans, or maybe it's just that we're quite a forgetful lot, I'm like, not sure. But I was reading in Joshua 4, um, Joshua 3 and 4, uh, recently, and this is, uh, to give you a bit of context of where this kind of sits in the Bible, this is uh, just at the end of the Israelites have spent 40 years in the desert, Because God had delivered the Israelites from Egypt. You know, Moses had led them through the Red Sea. uh, And then they'd kind of got scared and hadn't trusted that God was going to actually hand them the promised land that they had um, been promised. And they had scouted it out. And there were some pretty scary looking dudes who already lived there. And so instead, what happened is that they... uh, wandered around in the desert for 40 years. And it's, there's a lot that happens. It's definitely worth a read. If you haven't read it, that whole kind of story before, or you haven't read it for a while, I encourage you to go back uh, and, and take a look at that. Uh, but where we're going to read from today uh, picks up after Joshua has started leading the people he's taken over from Moses. Um, and they're finally on the way out. You're right at the end of this, and they're, they're getting ready to, to take the, the promised land. So I am going to read um, from Joshua 3 for us. So it says, Early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left uh, Acacia Grove and arrived at the banks of the Jordan River, where they camped before crossing. Three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp, giving these instructions to the people. 
When you see the Levitical priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your positions and follow them. Since you have never travelled this way before, they will guide you. Stay about half a mile behind them, keeping a clear distance between you and the Ark. Make sure you don't go any closer. Then Joshua told the people, Purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. In the morning, Joshua said to the priests, Lift up the Ark of the Covenant and lead the people across the river. And so they started out and went ahead of the people. The Lord told Joshua, Today I will begin to make you a great leader in all the eyes of the Israelites. They will know that I am with you, just as I was with Moses. Give this command to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. So Joshua told the Israelites, come and listen to what the Lord your God says. Today you will know what the living, that the living God is among you. He will surely drive out the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites ahead of you. Those are the scary guys. Look at the Ark of the Covenant, which belongs to the Lord of the whole earth, uh, will lead you across the Jordan River. Now choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. The priests will carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. As soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of water will be cut off upstream and the river will stand up like a wall. So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan and the priests who were carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge... The water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zarathon. And the water below that point flowed on to the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as people passed by. They waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. When all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Now choose twelve men, one from each tribe. Tell them, take twelve stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan, carry them out, and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had chosen, one from each of the tribes of Israel, and he told them, Go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulder. 12 stones in all, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? And then you can tell them, they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. So the men did as Joshua had commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan River, one for each of the tribe, just as the Lord had told Joshua. They carried them to the place where they camped for the night and constructed the memorial there. Joshua also set up another pile of 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan at a place where the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant was standing. And they are there to this day when that was written. Now, I understand that that's not your traditional Christmas story. <laughs> um, you've probably not had that as your Christmas reading before. Um, but as I was reading this, it really kind of um, made me think about this whole idea of memorials and things that we do to mark things that have happened of significance. You see, what had taken place here was, was really special, was really significant. It was a miraculous thing that God had done. He had dried that river right up. He had allowed a whole nation to cross a river in flood where they wouldn't normally have been able to. 
You know, he had done this miraculous thing so that his plan for the nation of Israel was able to be carried out. And then in order to memorialize the Lord's covenant um, of faithfulness and his deliverance of Israel, he then instructed Joshua and the nation to build a ken at, it was called Gigal, from 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan. You know, and that wasn't just a cool pile of rocks, although it probably was a pretty cool pile of rocks. <laughs> I bet they chose like pretty strong men to, you know, so they got like the biggest kind of most beautiful rocks that they could get. Uh, but as Joshua explained, this, that those stones were actually to be a sign that directed people's attention to the saving deeds that the Lord had accomplished for them. You know, somebody who was passing by and saw them would assume that somebody had heaped those stones up for a reason. And so they would ask, you know, what's with your cool pile of rocks? Like, what's with those? And they would be able to give the answer, you know? This is where Israel crossed the Jordan onto dry land. You know, but more than that, if this is where the Lord dried up the Jordan as he dried up the Red Sea until Israel crossed. And that all of the people of the earth should know that the Lord is mighty and to be feared always. You know, the purpose of a sign was to point away from itself and to what it signified. You know, that memorial ken at Gigal pointed away from itself. It wasn't just to draw attention to itself and be like, look at me, I'm cool. You know, it was to point people and get their focus onto what the Lord had accomplished on behalf of his people. And it was for all of the people of the earth to see and to know. You know, that heap of stones was a sign and a memorial to God Almighty, who heaped up the waters so that his people might be redeemed. You know, it marked the events of God breaking into history. You know, those simple stones from the river signified that God had been there and he had performed miraculous works. Um, Proverbs 1.7 states that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And uh, when we look at this, this group of people, the, the people who feared the Lord crossed the Red Sea and then they moved on and they crossed through um, the river as well, and that Khan, um, Ken sorry, at um, Gagal would remain a constant reminder of what our response to the Lord who can break into history to redeem his people should be, you know, to fear God and to listen to his wisdom, to walk in his paths. So it was there to be a, a reminder and so maybe, you know, when we're talking about, I don't know if it's just that we're sentimental or forgetful, maybe it's that we are forgetful. You know, and uh, the purpose of that memorial was to point away from itself and point to what God had done. And as I was kind of thinking about this, I thought about all of the things that we do at Christmas time, and I wondered if the same could be kind of said of them. You know, we, God, we know that God is not opposed to us having traditions, um, setting up markers. You know, he was the one who instructed Joshua to, to do that. There are all sorts of different things that we um, celebrate that we're instructed to do in remembrance. Um, you know, it's, it's not that God doesn't like those. Um, but I thought that at this time of year in particular, we have a lot of things that we kind of put in place. You know, thinking about your, your carols, your decorations, your nativity plays, Advent. There is a lot of stuff that comes with Christmas season in this time of year. Uh, and I was wondering, are they serving a purpose? 
You know, what should they be a marker for? What should they be pointing to? What is it that we actually want to be reminded of at Christmas? You know, when they saw that pile of stones, they went, oh, that was when, you know, the river dried up and the whole nation was able to go through. When we see things at this time of year, are they markers for us? And if so, what are they actually marking? In John 3, 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal, everlasting life. In Galatians 4, um, verses 4 to 5, it says, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as children. In Matthew it says, And she shall bring forth a son, and you will call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. In John 16 it says, These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have troubles, but take courage, because I have overcome the world. You know, all of these things, like, this is, this is the best possible news. You know, like, this changes everything. Like, drying up a river, that is amazing. But like this, like, do you understand what this is, um, what this has done for us? You know, Christmas time is when we are remembering and celebrating the start of God's incredible redemptive plan that changes eternity. You know, Romans 6, it says, for the wages of sin, you know, what, what sin gets is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, this is, this is something that doesn't just affect one person or one nation. It is for every single person who has ever lived on this planet. You know, Jesus was God's answer to our sin problem. You know, he came as a baby to earth. He lived blameless and he died on the cross on our behalf so that as those verses we said, um, as we read, you know, that we would not have to die, but we would have access to everlasting life. You know, that we would be saved from our sins so that we're able to receive adoption into the kingdom of heaven as sons and daughters. You know, that we're going to have all the rights of a child so that we can have peace and have access to the Father. You know, when we sing those, those worship songs, this is what we're talking about, the fact that, that Jesus has overcome, and because of that, we are able to approach the throne of grace with confidence. You know, that we don't have to have um, the punishment that our sin deserves, but that we're able to live um, and live life in its fullness and get to experience the goodness of God. Like, this is cool stuff. If there's anything we want to build a memorial to or, you know, have our attention shifted to, this seems like a great thing to, you know, to do. And I wonder, you know, sometimes at this time of year, is that what you're actually reminded of? You know, when you're in the midst of all the traditions and busy with the holiday season, you know, is, is this what you're thinking of, what you're focusing on? Um, you know, is what should be a marker to shift our attention to Jesus actually maybe a bit of a distraction sometimes? You know, with this time of year with all of its trappings, you know, is that pulling our focus or redirecting our focus to Jesus. 
You know, two weeks ago, we had uh, Lorraine out here to share with us, and uh, um, one of the things that she spoke about was this word pros, which uh, in English we usually translate to with. Um, it's like to be with someone, but it's a specific type of with. You know, it doesn't mean just to be physically present, um, like in the same room or near somebody. Um, it actually talks about being fully focused and intent upon. You know, like you're actually with somebody, you're, you're right there next to them, you're focusing. You're, she showed a picture of a dog who's like looking for a ball and being like, where? Like they're so laser pointed. And uh, that's, that's what this word is talking about. And uh, I kind of wondered if sometimes um, we have Jesus with our Christmas traditions or kind of with us when we're thinking about it, but maybe not that pros with you know, maybe it's not the focus, the main thing, the bit that is really drawing us and pulling our focus. And you see, even good things can become distractions. In the New Testament, in Luke 10, we find the story of Mary and Martha, and I'd like to read that for you as well. It's found in Luke. See, as Jesus and his disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all of the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, You are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. You know, and I'm sure you've heard the the story before. It's a story of priorities. You know, it was good that Martha had opened her home and welcomed Jesus in, and that she was trying to be a good host and trying to take care of her guests. You know, but it wasn't the most important thing. And what had happened is that it had pulled her focus and she was distracted by the preparations and instead of focusing on Jesus and celebrating his presence in her home and taking the opportunity to be with him, her attention had got all taken up by the details of her task. You know, it says she was distracted by the dinner that she was preparing. How many of you are planning on having people over for a big dinner this Christmas or around this time of year. I hope so. (laughs) You know, or maybe you're going to exchange presents or try and wrangle and organize a family and get them out to a carol service or a Christmas service or a Christmas market or put up a tree and a nativity set and decorations to make your house festive and Christmassy or volunteer to help those in need at this time of year, maybe help with packing the Christmas boxes. You know, there's all of these things that we do, and as we're doing all of these, where is your focus? Are these things going to become markers that will draw your attention back to Jesus and the hope that he represents? Or are they going to be distractions that pull your focus and leave Jesus, you know, the reason for the season is just an afterthought? You know, all of those things, they are not bad things. You know, they can be wonderful things, and I know they bring so much joy. Uh, But this year, I just really pray that as you engage with it all, that those things would not be a distraction, 
but rather they would point your focus back to Jesus and what he has done for you, and that the main thing would be able to remain the main thing. You know, the second part of um, the purpose you know, that we were talking about um, at that cairn back uh, that Joshua had built um, was that it was designed so that people would see it and ask the question, what happened here? You know, it wasn't just for the Israelites' benefit that they would see it and remember because they knew that story. It was also there so that anybody who walked past would see it and think to ask, oh, what's happened here? And I think that at this time of year, it's also good for us to ask ourselves this as well. You know, what we're doing and, um, you know, us as people, are we directing people to Jesus and to the hope of Christmas? Or are we maybe being a distraction? In uh, 1 Peter, it says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And when I read that, I suppose I have to follow it up with this question is, am I living in such a way that is actually going to cause anyone to ask? You know, people aren't going to come up and ask if they don't have anything to see or to, you know, go, let them ask about that hope. Do they know that I have hope? You know, am I living in a way, am I doing things with my time and with my energy and with my words and my attitudes that is causing people to go, huh, there's something there, I wonder what that is, let me ask them. You know, how we conduct ourselves at this time of year, the things we choose to do, are they going to pull focus and make people look at us and the things that we do and, and direct their focus inwards, or are they going to redirect that focus to Jesus? You know, are we ourselves being markers for other people? Carl last week talked about the peace that we carry, you know, that peace that surpasses all understanding. And we've been talking over the last few months about the fruit of the Spirit, you know, the love, the joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, you know, those are the fruit that we get to develop um, by living in step with the Spirit, who we have access to through Jesus, which we are celebrating at Christmas, the start of that whole journey. You can see how that all kind of ties in. Um, And when we're talking about, you know, are we being a marker for people, it's not just about the physical things we do. It's also about how we carry ourselves. You know, can people see that fruit on display? You know, are we remaining connected to the vine so that we're able to grow and produce those? Um, But it also can be about some of the things we choose to do as well. You know, Jeremiah was talking about Christmas box this year. There are things that we do that uh, are sort of a tangible demonstration of the love that we have for people because of our love for God. One of them might be taking care of somebody's physical needs um, when, you know, this is a tough time for a lot of people. So those things can be good things, but it's not just here, here's a box of food, You know, it's a, I've made this for you because I love you, I value you, because God loves you, and God values you. And actually, at this time of year, it's not just that God has come down to earth to save me, but that he wants to offer that chance to you as well. And I wonder if uh, there are some people in your life that maybe um, have asked, 
or you could give them an opportunity to ask about the hope that you carry this Christmas. You know, that there might be, um, maybe you can invite them along to sing carols with you and uh, explain the story behind why we do that. You know, maybe it is that you've got a neighbor who might be lonely this time of year that you could offer to have them around for a meal or take them some food. You know, when you give um, a gift, you know, are you allowing space to open up a conversation about why we do that? You know, that, that we give gifts as a symbol of the greatest gift that was given to us. And so this year, I suppose, just amongst all of the busy, all of the distraction, um, I would just say, the things that you're doing with you and your family and your neighbours, are they distracting you? Are they pulling your focus? Have you allowed your eyes to be redirected down onto earthly things rather than up to the heaven? And also, are you allowing yourself to become a marker for other people, to point them towards the hope that we have at this time of year because of what Jesus has done for us. And so um, that's really all I kind of wanted to explore a little bit this morning. So what I'd really love to do is, team, if you want to come back, is uh, open up this space again uh, for you to sit, um, uh, to spend some time with God, you know, amongst all of the things, all of our focus being pulled in all these different directions, you know, the best way is to come back again to the foot of the cross, to come, uh, to spend time with Jesus, to reset, you know, to ask what it is that he would have you do, to engage with the Holy Spirit, to say, who is it that you want me to speak with about the hope that I carry? Who is it that I can be praying for? Are there things that you would have me do? You know, is there ways that I can make the traditions around this space more focused on you and what you've done? And so I'll just encourage you to spend this time as we're going to worship um, to, again, reset that focus. Let the things that we do at this time of year be a marker to draw your attention back to Jesus um, and his incredible um, redemptive plan for all of humanity. So I'm just going to pray. If you would like to stand, if you're able. Jesus, we are just so thankful that you were obedient to come to earth as a baby and then to live your life as you did and to ultimately die on the cross for our sins, that we are able to stand in this place righteous, not because of anything that we have done, but because of what you've done for us. And Lord, we don't want to forget that. We don't want to let other things come in and become a distraction. God, we want to keep our eyes fixed firmly on you. Lord, on the hope that you um, have placed in our hearts. And so we just ask again that you would um, continue to reveal yourself to us, that you would um, drop that truth so deeply in our hearts that we would be able to remain steadfast in our faith in you. And Lord, at this time of year, we just also ask that um, you would really uh, speak to us, that you would uh, guide us in our conversations and our actions, that everything that we do would point people to who you are and the hope um, that you have for them as well. And so, Lord, we just again, we say, have it all, have all that we have to offer, um, keep our eyes focused on you. We just want to praise you again in this place this morning. Amen.